Okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's from the Gospel of Luke. Then he said a man had two sons. And the younger said, said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all of his belongings, set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he found himself in a dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens who sent him to his farm to tend the swine. And he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat? But here am I, dying from hunger. I should get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants quickly, bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandal on his feet. Take the fattened calf and slaughter it. Then let us celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. Now the older son who had been out in the field and on his way back, as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing, called one of the servants and asked what this might mean. The servant said to him, Your brother has returned, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has, he has him back safe and sound. He became angry, and when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him. He said to his father in reply, Look, all these years I served you. Not once did I disobey your orders. You never even gave me a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returns, you swallowed up your property with prostitutes. For him, you slaughtered the fattened calf. He said to him, My son, you are here with me always, and everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice, because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Lord Jesus, we just ask in this next talk, Lord, that might have a greater desire to spend ourselves recklessly like the Father in this parable. To love recklessly. To waste our lives in service of you. We ask this intercession of our mother as we pray together. Hail Mary. Full of grace, Lord, blessed are thou among women, blessed is the Spirit, Amen. So, uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, in the book *The Weight of Glory*, <clears throat> he wrote a very interesting um, quote, and he says, "It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, <clears throat> but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink, and sex, and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us." We are far too easily pleased. This was the younger son. Right? He focused on himself, drinking, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And uh, little by little, he kept playing the game until it almost killed him. 
I once heard, I don't know who it was, it was a poet, and he said, Some men die by the sword, some go down in flames, but most men perish inch by inch in play and stupid games. I think we lack fire because we lack love. It's kind of been, I hope you're beginning to see that the theme of my talks. We lack fire because we lack love. The younger son had no desire to love. He only had a desire to control. To take control of his life, to do what he wanted, and that control almost killed him. Archbishop Fulton Sheeney said, so many people, he said, I've heard it said, so many people are unhappy because they're not loved. And he said, that's garbage. He said, people are unhappy because they don't love. People are unhappy because they don't love. Not because they're not loved, but because they don't love. They don't risk it all. They play it safe. They perish inch by inch in their stupid little games. And we as Catholics are meant to change the world, but we are not reckless enough in our faith. We don't waste our lives in our faith. And it's funny because I'd swear you, in every other aspect of our lives, we encourage kids especially to be reckless. Have you ever noticed this? Like parents encourage their kids to be reckless. I saw that you know, I, was, I was over at a family's house and their, <clears throat> their little kid, he was just starting to walk. And uh, he'd gotten walking down and like the next step was now he had to run. You know, and the kid just takes off running and the kid, you know, and the parents are like, that is so adorable. You know, and they're like, run, Johnny, run. And I'm like, that's the dumbest encouragement I've ever heard. You know, the kid can barely walk. Why are you telling him to run? But we encourage kids. I saw another one I saw this summer blew my mind. I went out to a lake cabin in Lake Metagoshi uh, and this, this family up there, they have this huge wakeboarding boat it's like a 450 horsepower wakeboarding boat i mean you hit you say go i remember when i was learning how to wakeboard you know that you'd be like hit it you know and they'd throw it down you're like you know you're just swallowing water you know and finally you're like whoa and you're like you know i'm up all right now i mean you're like hit it and it's like and you're up I mean, these things could, they like rip people out of the water and throw them onto the shore. They're so powerful. Well, the little kids, you know, they always love watching us go. And especially my brother and I, because my brother and I are like, we're tubing fanatics. And we fight all the time. So there's just a constant war on the tubes. And so, you know, when we swing into each other, like the, the, the fa- most famous one, if you can pull it off, is as you're coming in, is either to flip over the guy... Or to jump off of your tube onto his and rip him off, right? So these little kids just love watching this. They love it. So it finally, and you know, this has been for a couple years. And finally we're like, all right, like Ethan, it's your turn to get out there. And he's like, oh, I don't, I don't want to get out there. And his dad is like, no, you need to get out there, man. This is going to be awesome. Get out there. And everybody's like, yeah. We're like, Ethan, Ethan. You know, and this kid is like 60 pounds. Wet and wearing boots. And, you know, he, you know, he's like, he doesn't want to let everybody down. He's like white and shaking as he's walking to the back of the boat, you know, like, okay. <laughs> and he gets, he gets onto the tube, you know, and you, it was, I mean, it felt terrible, but it was funny to watch. Just, you know, he's, he's just, you know, and you, and you train the kid, you know, the, the one thing they say is hit it, you know, which is the dumbest saying in the world, you know. But I was, I can't remember who was saying that. They're like, you should just say 
Okay, Dad, accelerate at a cautious speed until I feel comfortable. You know? But we say hit it, and this, thing, I mean, this kid, because these boats, man, they're so strong. And it was just like, and he's just like, ah! you know, and he's, he's hanging off the back of the tube, just trying to, and you know, his dad, like, so at this point, so now the kid has not done enough. And the, the dad's whole objective now is what? Get the kid off the tube, right? Which involves, you know, massive hairpin turns at record speeds when it whips around. You know, it's just like turning. And this, I mean, the first one, you know, I looked at, afterwards, I'm like, Jason, really? <laughs> he comes, and this kid comes flying. And it was just like, and the, the tube flips, and he's just like, just shoots across the water. Well, you know, at that point, we all, as we come up, you know, he's like bobbing up and down in the water, <laughs> bawling, you know. And what do we say? Everybody's like, that was awesome! Do it again! You know? <clears throat> like, we encourage people to be reckless all the time in these stupid, stupid things. You see it on college campuses. People, you're encouraged to do the dumbest thing. I remember I was in, when I was in BC, remember before conversion? I was in, uh, I went to NDSU, North Dakota State, and we went to this gathering, I like to call them, <laughs> it was a college gathering, and, and there were people there, and some beer, and you know, it was a lot of people, big gathering, all the college people came together, and, uh, but there was this guy, and I, like, I just don't understand this, like, everybody was just, you know, hanging out, and there is a certain degree of like, we're communal people, and there's a certain degree of virtue, I think, to be at something like that, and to be temperate, you know, and just enjoying, uh, you know, hanging out with people, but this guy, he just, he kept drinking more, and more, and like, people just encouraged him, and encouraged him, and then he had this bright idea to run through a wall, you know, and everybody's like, Yes! Great idea! <laughs> like, do it! You know, and this guy just at top speed. And I don't know if he hit, like, the stud or what, but it was just boom, boom. And everybody's like, okay! <laughs> you know? And he just laid there. Like, we encourage people to do the reckless, stupid things that benefit nobody. In fact, can really hurt people. And yet the one place I never see parents, I never see you know, as, as a general population, is an encouragement to holiness. And that's like one of the most reckless things you can do. Why are we not encouraging people to be holy? I remember when I had my conversion and, and I started to go to Mass and like all my buddies, they were, you know, they were, <clears throat> I lived with three guys in, a, in an apart, or a, a house in Fargo. And I, you know, like I'd get up and I'd go to daily Mass and I'd always be like, you guys want to come to daily Mass? And they're like, no, like shut up. You know what time it is? You know, I'm like, it's, it's like 7.30. It's not that late or not that early. But the, and I said to him, I said, why? So if I ask you to go to the bar, you'll go with me. If I encourage you to go to mass, why won't you go with me? Because there's no real passion. There's no real desires because people don't love. They don't love. They only try to control. Okay. So if, if you want, what I, what I want to encourage you in this little this little talk because I want to encourage you to spend yourself, to give yourself, to waste yourself in the service of mercy and love. To be reckless with your life in those areas. To put yourself out on a limb. Because when you love, nothing can stop you. That's why St. Augustine said, love God and then do whatever you want. Because you won't sin. If you love God completely, 100% totally, which I'm not sure is 
completely possible in this, in this life, but to get as far as we can, that's the objective. It really only took 12 men to upset the Roman Empire. Turn on its head. John Paul II took down communism. These 12 uneducated men, by the way, it wasn't their degrees that convinced people. It wasn't their outstanding honors and their plaques that they had in their offices. What was it that convinced people? It was their way of life. What made people in the early Christian church want want to be Christian even though by getting baptized was a death warrant to have your head chopped off? Why? Why would people sign up for that? Because they loved this idea of a group of people existing and seeking holiness and loving one another and forgiving one another and encouraging one another. And we don't do that enough with each other. We need to be a voice of encouragement. Again, I, you know, I, I think there's, there's something just, it just evokes, you see this in movies and it pulls something out of you, it awakens something, it should anyway. Like the, the movie I always think of is Gladiator. All right, you all seen Gladiator? (laughs) Is that a great movie? Have you seen that more than once? What is it about that movie that like jacks you up, especially to the guys? I mean, to the, no, I mean, I don't think it's, you know, heads falling off and things. That's nice. We like that. But I think what draws, I mean, there's plenty of violent movies. Why is Gladiator the one that draws men and women just back again and again and again? It's because this guy loved his family so much that he was willing to recklessly, recklessly put his life on the line for them. That's what it is. If you're wondering what it is, that's what it is. And it does that. We watch movies all the time and it does this to us. And like we have these great giant desires to love like that, to spend ourselves like that, to give ourselves like that. And then they just fade. Because we don't love. I know this is hard to believe, but I used to be really in shape. (laughs) I, I, I did. I used to have a very chiseled body back in the day. And... I'm now fat. <laughs> I heard a guy this week, he said, this is not fat, this is lazy muscle. <laughs> but the reason I am no longer in shape is because I didn't work at it. I, I don't work out much anymore. And I got fat. If you don't work on loving, you will stop loving. I mean, this is not, like, I, when I, whenever I give these retreats, and sometimes, like, what I just said there, I'm like, well, yeah, you idiot. It's so, it's such common sense. But that's why when G.K. Chesterton, they said, why are you Catholic? He said, because it's true. Because it's true. When I say stuff like that, you're like, well, yeah. <laughs> but then we don't live it like we should. We need strong leaders in this world. Strong leaders. We have so many cowards. And as I said, I've recently become very fascinated with Alexander the Great. Uh, Just another quick story about him. Uh, He was a very interesting man. Uh, That's why he's a great historical figure. He was a great leader for many reasons. You know, he was taught. I didn't know this. I'm not that smart. He was taught by Aristotle. Aristotle taught him. That would stink. 
You know, imagine having Aristotle as your teacher. I don't think anybody ever raised their hand. (laughs) They would never argue with him, right? He was steeped in Hellenistic traditions. His army pay was meager at times, but he paid his soldiers promptly, and he ensured that they were well-fed. He worked hard in other ways to maintain the loyalty and motivation of of his men. Generally, he dressed like his soldiers. He spent time with them, was often found walking through the camp. He would stop, talk, listen to the groups of men. He would sleep in the same areas that they were. His outward appearance of love and concern combined with his courage and determination evoked great affection from his soldiers. And these were all great qualities, but probably his best quality was this. When they went into battle, he led. He's one of the greatest generals to maybe ever exist. And he led the charge. Now, this made him an easy target, target for his enemies, but it also stirred great inspiration in his troops. And that's why Alexander, in about 15 years, almost never lost a battle. Ever. Because he was reckless. He was reckless. And that's why people followed him. You know, as, again, I think about the Lord of the Rings. You remember that scene in the fellowship? You got everybody's the rings sitting right in the center, and everybody's arguing who's going to take it, who's going to destroy the ring, what are we going to do, blah, blah, blah. And then Frodo's like, well, I'll take it. You know, and he's like, and you have my sword, and you have my axe, and you have my. Uh. <laughs> and nine people say yes to an impossible mission. Do you ever wonder, I, I, I wonder what random stuff, but do you ever wonder what happened to those other people that were there? There's no story written about them. What's the story that has captivated minds for decades is about nine people who set out on a mission which to the eyes of people that don't know the story is completely impossible. Nine people have to get this little tiny ring. There's only a couple warriors past you know, millions of wicked legions into the country of the enemy, up onto a mountain, and into the fires where it was forged. Nine, nine guys got to do this. And the one who's the leader of them all is like this big and has furry feet. (laughs) Seriously. But this is how God writes beautiful stories. I mean, look at Jesus for crying out loud. I think we sit back to way too often and like, oh man, you know the Lord, like he was so effective. He was not that effective. He came into some no-name country, to some no-name people, lived most of his years in obscurity, and for three years did some miracles, did some preaching, and at the end of it was crowned with thorns and pinned to a cross. That's a waste of a life. In the eyes of the world. This is why people in the early Roman Empire, they said, they, they actually, the, the earliest, I don't know if you know this, the earliest depiction of Jesus is in the, in the Roman, it was in the Roman Imperial Guards, where they, their, their bunkhouses. And apparently they were making fun of one of the soldiers who was a Christian. Because there's a picture of a, a cross, and it's etched into the wall, and there's like a stick figure on it with the head of a donkey. And it says, Alex Themenos worships his God. And it showed a little guy with a bowed down before the cross. It was a joke. 
It was a joke to the Romans that this was actually a God, that this was actually somebody that was going to change the world. And yet it did. It did. You guys, I just, there's so much that we miss because we try to control our lives. That we're not reckless. That we play it safe. You know, the Father is teaching us in the gospel I read today from the prodigal son. You know what prodigal means, by the way? This is your turn. I do a lot of talking. Prodigal. We all know the story, right? Do you ever think about what that word means? It's a weird word, prodigal. It means squandered. Wasteful. <clears throat> it means wasteful. But here's the catch. I don't think the, the... It says the prodigal son. I think it was named wrong. I know that's bold. <clears throat> but Jesus didn't name it, right? He didn't name the parable. He said, this is the parable of the prodigal son. Once there was a man who had... You know, like, <clears throat> They, we titled it the prodigal son. I think it should be called the prodigal father. Because who's more wasteful, the son or the father? In the eyes of the world, in the eyes of justice, the father's way more wasteful. Wasting his love on his son. And what's happening here is God the father is teaching us that we need to waste our lives in reckless lives of love and mercy. If we want to live, if we want to experience joy, authentic joy and excitement in this life, we've got to put our lives on the line. We can't live this like little sheltered life. We got to get out of the shire. Get out. Get out of your comfort zone. Do random things. And I'm telling you, when I've done this in my own life, is the most exciting times of my life. When I'm walking and all of a sudden I just have this overwhelming sense of the Lord's like, you need to go talk to that person. I'm like, I don't even know that person. They're like, I don't care. Go talk to him. I'm like, about what? I don't know. Strike up a conversation. And then whenever I do it, I go and talk to somebody. These amazing things happen. But in order to do that, he needs people that are willing to risk their lives, risk their reputations, risk it all. That's what Christianity is about. It's about risking it all. I remember, and, and, and most people will say it's a waste of your life. I remember when I was ordained, mostly women would call me father, what a waste. <clears throat> I'm assuming because they wanted to marry me. But uh, I'm not 100% sure why. But think about it. They see a guy and they say, that's a waste of a life. He could have been a great father. Because they don't understand Christianity. They understand the effect that the priest can have. And here's what I think. I think what holds us back more than anything, as I said right in the beginning, and this is so important to remember, is control. We want control. We don't want to depend on the Father. Monsignor Tom Richter, a brother, priest of mine from the Diocese of Bismarck, he calls it the classroom of dependence. We hate the classroom of dependence. We like the classroom of control. And control is so dangerous to us. The reason I say this is because this is exactly what the younger son did. He tried to control his life and he almost killed himself by trying to provide for himself because he thought he knew what was best he thought he knew what was going to bring him happiness he thought that he had his whole path laid out before him i don't know about you but i've done that in my life a lot 
And I've got to the point in my life where I, I still struggle a bit, but I'm getting more and more free in the area of saying, you know what, Jesus, if something goes wrong, I, I just don't care anymore. I'm just open to say, all right, Lord, this is from you. And people who call this, people get really upset with me. They call this a cop-out. Because I'll say, no, the Lord's in charge. He's in charge of my life. If I get a speeding ticket, that's his will. Somehow, I don't know how. Sucks, I gotta pay money, but it's his will. If, if, if I get sick, it's his will. It's what Ignatius of Loyola calls holy indifference. And I'm not saying I got this, but this is what we need to work on. And the holy indifference is, he says, I, I, I prefer neither riches to poverty, health to sickness. He says, I prefer, I prefer whatever you want, Lord, is what I want. And that is what we need. This is how we get rid of control, is by surrendering our life over and over and over again to God's will. And how do you, people say, well, how do you do that? Everything that happens in your life, everything is from the hand of the Father. And you can choose to either focus on that or not. And to the degree that you focus on it and you look for him and in it and desire to see him in it and to be with him in it is, the desire, is to the degree that you will grow in the spiritual life. But you have to look for him there. He's waiting. That, that, that line, I stand at the door and knock. He's waiting for you there. But control, control is so dangerous. You got a little story just from my own life. Try to break up my toxic stories. <clears throat> um, I, I lived down in Mexico for uh, six months, roughly. While I was down in Mexico, I had the opportunity to do a lot of really neat things. <clears throat> um, but I was still an incredibly arrogant man at the time. Uh, and uh, just kind of did things the way I wanted to do them. And uh, we decided, we had class Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday uh, for two hours each day. And the classes were pass-fail. So it was really, you could either go down to Mexico and do that for a semester, or you could write like an 80-page paper in Spanish. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so we went down to Mexico, my buddy Joe and I, and uh, we just, you know, we didn't pay attention to a lot of things. We just kind of did whatever we want. We had a lot of money. Our money goes a long ways down there. And uh, as college kids with a lot of money and no responsibility in Mexico, that's like a Molotov cocktail for disaster. And uh, so we went down. We decided to surf. We, we decided to become surfers because <laughs> we're from North Dakota. And that was the most obvious thing we should pick up down in Mexico. <clears throat> so we started surfing. We got, we got short boards because you can do long boards. Long boards are a lot easier, but short boards are tougher. And because we knew nothing about surfing and we we're total posers, we decided to get short boards. So we got short boards and we were learning how to surf on these, <clears throat> this little place called Barra de Navidad. Uh, it's this little beach town. And the waves there are about two to three feet. Okay, so two to three feet, two to three foot walls, and those are fun. You know, you pow, you get on, you like, and you fall over. <clears throat> so we decided for Easter break because we had like I don't know two weeks off from our rigorous schedule. <laughs> we decided to go down to Oaxaca, Mexico. Oaxaca, Mexico. Down to Oaxaca is uh, the beach town called Puerto Escondido. Puerto Escondido is one of the top ten surf beaches in the world. And we thought, what better place to go after a month of practice than one of the top 10 beaches in the world. So we got down to Puerto Escondido, and uh, the waves down there uh, were 8 to 10. 
foot walls. So, you know, two to three <laughs> and, and eight to ten is way up there. <clears throat> and as we were down there, we we're like, man, we can't wait. To, we're going to, this is going to be awesome. And we took pictures, you know, <laughs> we took pictures of holding our boards like, <laughs> with these huge waves in the background. <clears throat> and then we decided we're getting up early the next morning because there were people out there surfing like crazy, getting up the next morning, we're going out there. And uh, we, were, we were talking to some guys and they're later on their night, they're like, you know, we only had one day to do this. And the guy's like, you really shouldn't do that. He's like, the, they're calling for some, some pretty, you know, bad conditions tomorrow. And we're like, how bad can it be? <clears throat> so the guy's like, whatever, I mean, you can go if you want, but I, he's like, I doubt you'll even see anybody out there. So the next morning we get out, we're all jacked up, we go down. And he's right, nobody's out. <laughs> and that in itself should be a pretty good clue uh, not to go surfing. There's also a big red flag waving on the beach, <coughs> which I came to later find out means don't surf. <laughs> but because of our arrogance, because we wanted to do what we wanted to do, we wanted to control our lives and not receive from the Father, because I didn't even know what that meant back then, <clears throat> and not say, all right, Lord, we can't go surfing. What do you want us to do? Instead, we said, no, we're going surfing. So impose my will on the situation. And so we paddled out, <clears throat> just Joe and I. <clears throat> and now you, we should have figured this out again. There, there were numerous signs from the Lord. And this is how the Lord, he's, he's communicating to us. We're just not listening. Red flag, the guy before, don't go. <clears throat> this is Jesus like, stop, don't go out there. And as we're going, usually to get past the break, it takes five minutes at the most. It took us 45 minutes to get past the break. Because what happens is you paddle and as the wave comes, you like, you bend your knee and you dive underneath the wave and shoot out the back end. <clears throat> well, these waves were so ridiculously huge that as you bent down, you went like this and you're like. <laughs> and it was this constant battle. By the time we got all past the break, we were sitting there like laying on our boards. Just like <laughs> and I remember you sit on your board <clears throat> and to give you an idea of just the size of these things, like. We were like, you would be sitting and you'd rise up and you'd be like, hey, the beach. And then you'd be like, okay, beach is gone. And be, hey, the beach. And then we, that's how big the swells were. <clears throat> and so he's like, you ready to do this? And I'm like, you're dang right, I'm ready to do this. That's what I was born for. <laughs> and so we have it and I start paddling. <clears throat> and because you can, you can, you kind of can tell where the big ones are coming. And we waited until like the biggest one we could see. And we're like, let's do it. And it's coming, and he's just like, we're just paddling as hard as we can. And we both, now what I'm about to tell you next happens within like, I don't know, six seconds. <clears throat> okay? So I jump up, and I'm like, now I'm regular foot, so I stand this way. He's goofy, so he stands the other way. So when we stand up, we're like, boom! And I mean, we looked at each other, and it was like this, you know, like we did it, and then we both like looked and looked back, <laughs> and there was this like, because from the top of a 10-foot wave, looking down, it is freaky. And so instead of like carving into it, I just was like, just bailed. <laughs> I was just like, Whoa! And you just, I just went straight down and just wham, right on my stomach, you know, like a belly flop. And I'm just like, ow, you know? Now, again, this is all happening very fast. I'm like, ow! And the, all that 10-foot wall of water just went boom like that and drove me right into the seafloor. There, and there's rock, it's because it's only like six feet, it's six, six, seven feet where you surf. <clears throat> and it shredded my chest. 
And then it's so funny what goes through your mind during these times. So it, I'm in salt water with an, a shredded chest. I mean, the pain you guys that hit when salt went into those wounds. And here's what I thought. Sharks. <laughs> I remember it so clearly in my head. Like, not that I'm going to die, but that now sharks are going to come because my blood is in the water. And at that moment, like, I was just like, you know, what you forget is that your ankle is tied to a surfboard, you know? And so I was just laying there and all of a sudden it's just like, boom, like that. And it was like, and I'm just like all over the place. Like, and you, and what's, it's so disorienting. You're like trying to put your feet down and there's, you don't know if you're upside down, left, right. You don't know. And I'm like, and there was a point and all this stuff is so clear to me because I almost died. This one, I really did almost die. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like pushing, pushing. All of a sudden, I'm like, if I don't, on this one, if I don't hit the seafloor, I'm going to drown. You know? And I like put my legs on. I'm like, yeah! <laughs> and I like jumped as hard as I could and like start, I went inhaling water. Now, again, what you forget is there's a surfboard tied to your ankle. And so as I'm jumping face first like this, the board is right above me. <laughs> And I just bam right into it. And like blood just pours. You know, if you ever hit your nose really hard, oh, yeah. you know how it bleeds? Yeah. Oh. And and so and I inhale blood, salt water, then I vomit <laughs> into the water, grab I grab my board just for some support, you know, and I'm like, oh thank God that's over, forgetting that I'm in an ocean and waves just continually come. So you know I'm just like bam! And the whole thing starts over again. I was, you could feel drag, you could feel undertow, you could feel currents. You, I'm like, I am never getting out of this. And finally, like, I don't know how long I was in the water. But finally, I, met, I like got up on shore. And, I, and I'm like, I'm crying uncontrollably. You guys, I was so, I was shaking. Because I, th- I, should, I should have been dead. And I, <laughs> the funny, I look over, and on the shore is Joe just... And I was like, he's dead. You know, so I like run over to him and like turn him over. And he's, he's crying and just like. <laughs> and it was all because, it was all because we had to have stuff our way. Control is so dangerous, you guys. And we have to remember that we have a loving father. That's why I read the prodigal son. What he wants for us is our good. So if we come upon something and it's, you know, like. I try to see this all the time from the spiritual realm. Like, you know, I go on vacation and we're going to go to this one whatever. I don't know, like theme park. I'm just making this up. And we get to the theme park and they're like, I'm sorry, we're closed today. <clears throat> that there's a reason that it's closed. And it's a good reason. I don't know. Maybe a roller coaster was going to fly off the hinge and I was going to be on it and I was going to be dead. But instead of seeing, instead of turning things immediately to the Father, we turn inward and we say, this sucks. Wouldn't you know this would happen to me? This is just my luck. I work all damn week and months and years and I freaking, I get all this money and I help. I pay tithes. I help the church. Why isn't God helping me? Instead of seeing the Father's hand in it. And that, when, when we do that, we detach from ourselves, you guys. And because of this 
this constant desire to control, we miss so much of him in this life. I was at a U2 concert uh, recently. Some people call me the vacation director. <laughs> but there's a, there's, a, there's a whole story behind the U2 concert, which was very justifiable. Um, I don't want to waste time on this. I'll, yeah, it was definitely God's will. <clears throat> um, it was. Okay, I'll tell you. So it was God's will. So I was, <clears throat> I was sitting... And, and I was sitting there and my buddy called me and we were both going to Rome for the ordinations because we're both vocation directors. We, we're the delegates to the bishop. We have to go. Uh, we have to go. And uh, <clears throat> well, he called me up and he's like, hey, when are you leaving? I'm like, well, I was thinking I'm leaving Saturday. He's like, why don't you stay till Sunday, man? Or Monday. And I'm like, why? What's the plan? He's like, well, here's what I'm thinking. We fly from Rome to London. <clears throat> we go see Manchester United Arsenal soccer game, which is like the biggest rivalry in England. And then we fly the next day, we get up early, we fly the next day to Barcelona and see you 2 in concert. <clears throat> He's like, two best vacation days you'll ever spend in your life. And I'm like, that's true. But I'm like, I can't. How am I going to justify that? He's like, well, I'll pray about it. I'm like, I will. <laughs> it sounds like a great time. So I sit down, I'm like, Jesus, if you want me to go, just, just give me a sign, a clear sign. Here was my sign. Because I, I want to bring the Lord into everything immediately. So I go in, I call my travel agent, I'm going to say, okay, I need a ticket, Bismarck, Rome, Rome, Bismarck. Here's the date. She said, fine. Uh, it's going to be about $1,400. Yeah, I said, you want to just run one more check? Can you check uh, Rome, Bismarck, Bismarck, or Bismarck, Rome, Rome, London, London, Barcelona, Barcelona, Bismarck? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, it's $1,100. I said, great, I'll take the ticket. Because that extra 300 bucks covered everything else. It's the same price. <laughs> Tell me you wouldn't go. <laughs> That's God's will, you guys. It's the exact same price. Well, maybe you and I see things differently. <laughs> but in the midst of it... <clears throat> I went in, you know, it was, it was a great game. We went down, we saw you two. And, uh, and again, like, I was just like, you know, we're, I'm not going to go stand in line. I'm like, the only tickets we could get were floor tickets. And uh, I said, you know, I was like, Jesus, you know, put us wherever, wherever you want us. So we show up and everybody is pushed all the way up to the front. And there's, there's stage A and stage B. And stage B, there's like 10 people standing around. So we're like, Cool. So we just walk up, and they played three-quarters of the concert on stage B. I was like, from me to you, to Bono. <clears throat> With all these people. And what, the reason I'm telling you the story, what struck me, <laughs> the reason, what struck me is that when Bono came out, he's really small, but that's a side note. When he came out, everybody, everybody was this. I'm like, you're missing Bono. Like, you're missing the concert. During the concert, and people are so stupid. You know, they're like dancing, like. <laughs> and, then, and then they're playing like, you know, Beautiful Day, and this guy's posting his video of himself to people who don't really care. <laughs> the control that we try to take, and it's getting worse now because of social media. We try to control everything, who we are, our persona, how we appear. It's ridiculous. And we miss him. We miss him so much. 
Because we're so concerned about ourselves. This is why I think Jesus tells us to be like children. One thing I love about children, I have a lot of friends that, uh, well, that was arrogant. <laughs> I have a lot of friends. Uh, <clears throat> I have a lot of uh, friends, families, and they have a lot of kids. And man, to watch children, to see the freedom that a child has. They just, they're so free. I love, and, and, and like they just, there's a simplicity about God. You know, don't you, I don't know if you guys are, I get to see this all the time. Well, not all the time. I wish I saw it all the time. But when you have these, like, really solid families, and the little girls, they, they come up like this. And you just give them a blessing. <laughs> you know, it is, like, the most adorable thing. Or, like, when you do a children's collection, you know? I mean, who doesn't, like, Frankie and Susie at top speed, you know, BAM! Money goes flying in the air. And everybody's like, oh... You know, but they just, they're so, they're just free. They just roll with it. I think that's what the Lord's kind of trying to tell us, to just be, to be free, to just roll with it. That the things of God for a child are simple. They don't have to be difficult. I don't know, it's one of my, there's, there's this family at Christ the King in Mandan. And uh, they, have, they have three little kids and then a little baby. And they come to daily mass periodically, and I rarely have mass. But like when I, like these little kids, they just I don't know why, but they just love they love me. And uh, what I don't I mean, seriously, I think they just love the priesthood or something. But I will come out and I ring the bell, and these little kids I mean they're little. And it's like shing shing, and I walk out, and it's like it's Father Josh, <laughs> and I look out, and he's like. Uncontrollable, you know. And then I just I kind of look at him and wink, and he's like, ah. But like, there's just this freedom in the child. Like, imagine that if somebody did that in mass, a grown man. It's Father John. There's no way. There's no way because we're so concerned about how people perceive us. We don't have that freedom. I know I, some of you guys from St. Mary's, you know, uh, Reed Ruggles. His, I, I go and pray with them. That has got to be one of the, my favorite things to do is pray with his kids. It's because cause Max is the oldest. He prays really, he has great, or not Max, Brady. Brady's the oldest. Thanks, Dan. <clears throat> Brady's the oldest. He says all these prayers, you know, and they're good. They're actually really good prayers because he's the oldest and he understands kind of prayer a little bit. And then Max just said whatever Brady said because that's what younger brothers do. <clears throat> and then Vinny is my favorite. Because Vinny's like, Reed's like, okay, Vinny, what, what are you thankful for? And Vinny's like, I'm, 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 I'm thankful for the cows and, and the birds, and I'm thankful for this house and the walls, and, the, and I'm thankful for the water and trees. And, and Reed's like, okay, that's great, Vinny, good job. And he's like, yeah, and Dad, but I'm thankful also for <laughs> And he just keeps rolling. It, it just goes on and on and but you, you got it. You can't cut the kid off. You know, like, that's enough. Stop praying. You just got to let him go. And, and like the freedom that that little dude has. I just got to, when I watch him pray, I just sit back and I'm like, the heart of Jesus must damn near explode when he sees that. <clears throat> and how much joy he must take in the parents for teaching the kid that. And my favorite one, last story about kids, I promise. 
uh, Veronica, she's my little goddaughter. <clears throat> and uh, we, I pray with this family too. And she always kneels right beside me. <clears throat> and we, get, we kneel down and we go around and everybody's. And then her, her dad is like, Veronica, what are you, what are you thankful for? And she, it was the most beautiful understanding of prayer that I've ever seen. If you think that I am representative of, of Jesus, right? She looks up at me and I'm like, Veronica, what are you thankful for? And she's like, you pray for me. And I was like, holy cow. If that isn't like the most beautiful representation of how our souls should turn to God the Father. <clears throat> God, you tell me what I want. You tell me what I'm grateful for. You tell me what to desire. Because I'm an idiot. I don't know. And that's why children are so dang cute. And so, that, that's why they speak truth. <clears throat> I mean, I, I've preached, I've had numerous homilies. And little kids in the front row, and I'm like, I'm talking about abortion. I'm like, we have got to fight against abortion. And I'm just on this tirade. And, I go, and I'm like, are you with me? And this little kid's like, yeah! <laughs> and I'm like, exactly! That's, he's the only one! What's the matter with you losers? I got a little kid who wants to fight and you don't. But man, Jesus wants us to live like this. <clears throat> he wants us to live lives free of control. And I want to just give you one thing. Father Jim Mason, uh, he's a priest from Sioux Falls. He told me this one time, and I thought it was genius. Because so often, in our, we even try to control our spiritual lives. What I pray, how I pray, the, the litany of my prayers. I can't miss any of them. You know, like if I miss them, I'm a terrible Catholic. And the whole time, we're just talking to God. We're not listening to God. He said this. He said, always pray as you can, not as you can't. And I think that is a very, very wise saying. When you are going, there's the, the, the treasure house of Catholicism in the spiritual life. There are so many different, there's Carmelite spirituality, there's Jesuit spirituality, there's the rosary, there's scripture, there's pious devotions, there's the, the sacred heart uh, devotion. There's, I mean, there's just thousands. <clears throat> and so often we have like, okay, I know exactly how I'm going to get holy. That is not the way you should pray. The way you should pray is, where do you experience God the most? How? How do you experience God the most? You know, somebody would just say, like, I don't know, sometimes I just, I like to just sit after Mass and sit. I just feel peace. Okay, pray like that. Because that's God. And I'm not saying that we don't do intercessory prayer. We do. <clears throat> but until you have the relationship you will never live a life of freedom because it's always going to be about you. You're going to control things. You just got to roll with what comes. That's what children live like. And we have to realize that our Father loves us and everything that happens in our lives is from Him and for our good. I think that's one of the greatest secrets to the spiritual life. A couple of scripture passages to pray with. Mark 10, 13 to 16. Mark 10, 13 to 16. And Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13.
Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, it is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Father, Son.